Well, we're going to finish this in a minute because we've got to move on. No, it's all right. Because it was. Oh. I was going to say that oh. it wasn't just. It's not just thinking that because the immigrant, the immigrant thing, I, I don't get because in the eighties, British done it to. Uh, obviously, now being the same pet, British done it to. Yeah. To uh, think because those were <coughs> yours had labourers. Yeah. Bricklayers and stuff was that near more money in Germany. Yeah, it depends. So went over to it depends on what what so people. It's exactly the same thing. It depends on what people are coming for in terms of that work, isn't it? If, if the work is there. They just brand everybody as if they're yeah. going to It's complicated. A lot of them are, but I'd also say it, a lot of them are as well. You've got to also accept that. It's very complicated. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're going off into different... Can we just pull it back? Pull it back for a moment, because we're going on into different things here. But... There are complicated, there are complicated factors. There are complicated factors involved in why people leave one part of the world and go to another part of the world. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go through what all of those complicated factors are. But what we do need to do, all of us, if we're going to be serious about studying, is to read something and not just make a judgment before we've completed reading it, or to look at something and not make a judgment. We all have our own values and our opinions, and that's fair and that's fine enough. But what we're doing in terms of social science and what you're doing for the courses that you're going on to is trying to have uh, an open mind in terms of what is there, okay? Um, now, I'll just finish by saying, on the news yesterday, I was watching uh, the rescuing uh, a shipload of people who were leaving North Africa and coming into trying to get to Italy, uh, and and the ship sank, uh, and there was five hundred there was five hundred people on it, and a hundred people drowned, uh, and all of those people uh, were then brought ashore. I know that many of those people will be sent back to where they've come from, and, and some of them have come from my dad's own, own country, Somalia. Um, some of them have come from Eritrea. In the main, what they're trying to escape from, many of the people are trying to escape from, is war and yeah. devastation. And if we were in their position, we might, we, we might want to do that ourselves. Yeah. Um, so we've got to follow that through you know, sometimes. We've got to have that open mind. Some people may not be coming for that. Some people may be coming to commit crime. Some people may be coming to use the system. Um, but we have to look at the That's whole the system's picture. Fault, then. We, we have to look at the whole picture. Can I just ask you to have a look at this? This is a discussion. This is a discussion of 
Lorna's case. And I want you to specifically look at the issues around power. Have a quick read of this, look at it, focus on the issues around power. Okay, sorry. Is everybody reading it? <coughs> Can we listen, 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 listen? I think, I think, can we, can we just hold this back? But, but focus on the three bits that talk about power. Okay, I'm just going to pull some points out from this and we can uh, have a look at it. Um, so, it's made the connection there, isn't it, in at different ways in terms of what we were looking at. So some of the answers that you've got as individuals and as groups may chime in with what is here in terms of what the writers are putting forward. Um, in terms of how Lorna was perceived, in terms of how Lorna was perceived, we've identified, haven't we, about the issues around prejudice, we've identified how she was less powerful issues around stereotypes and um, issues around those other issues. But what we need to be looking at and focusing on is how, sh how the adults were using their power. How the adults were using their power in terms of their professional power, you can see at the bottom, in terms of their expert power, in terms of resource and coercive power. So, professional power. Just have a little look at the bottom. The professional power of the social workers the professional power of the teachers. What have we been saying about power and power relationships? Let's use it in a positive form. Like, you, you, you're meant to have power there, so yeah. you know what's there, but you use it in a positive way. Yeah. Instead of like and today you're talking about partnership moments. rather than you know, one person being yeah. in power over another. And empowerment. But professional power is wider than that. It's the status that's attached to that professional. It describes here, doesn't it, about how um, if you if you want to get something like a passport, who do we need to get to sign those forms off? It's professional people, isn't it? Um, not that they're any better than anybody else in society, but they are supposed to be role models, people that everybody looks up to have a particular important position within society. And you have to pay them as well. Do you? Yeah. Some, you do. Some, Some do, yeah. Some they charge you for signing documents, yeah? Doctors do, yeah. Yeah? Because they don't make enough money, do they? Yeah. Okay. The power of the professional. And we recognise that power of the professional. Um, there's a writer called Goffman. Uh, he's a psychologist. Um, so you may come across him in psychology. He's somebody who, uh, in the 50s and 60s, carried out a number of experiments. Uh, one of, I think one of his books was called The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life. And basically he was saying that all of us as individuals... Oh, that's a test. 
All of us, all of us as individuals play different roles, okay? But we're playing roles and life is like a stage. So I'm playing the role at the moment, I'm a teacher, you're playing the role at the moment, you're the student, okay? He did some experiments. He went into a hospital um, and uh, he observed what other people, uh, how other people dealt with him when he just went in as a patient on his own, how he was dealt with and whatever. He went in the next day and this time he wore a white coat uh, and walked around um, and walked into, and he was allowed to get into other areas that he would not necessarily have been allowed to get into if he wasn't a patient. And he said, what was the difference? How, how was that different? The difference was he was playing a different role. People recognised the coat as part of that role. Even though he didn't have medical training, even though if they asked him to fix someone's broken leg, he might have made it worse. Um, but people recognise that. That's the power of our profession, isn't it? Right? The doctors, the doctors' profession. Medical profession is is, is is an interesting one to look at at different levels, and we'll come back and look at some other aspects of the medical profession a bit later on. Professional power is important. Can I just ask what was that study called by him? Well, the book that I, I, I know by him is called The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life. I did say it, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next bit talks about the power of experts. So how does that differ from professional power? Expert opinions more likely to be trusted because yeah. we believe that they're expert in the field. Where do we mostly use expert opinions? Where in, in stuff we don't know nothing about. Yeah. yeah. But we watch it on TV practically every day. We watch a crime show. We watch a trial. We trot out a doctor, don't be a psychiatrist or professor of. Uh, epidemiology or whatever yeah they'll trot somebody out a professor usually you've got a professor usually onto the winner there aren't you so they'll get their experts on on the stand and they'll give their opinion but it's not just their opinion is it it's not just what they think it's their research the information that they've gathered their experience that they're putting on and the fact that we're placing that power in their hands, aren't we, really? Yeah, because their, their opinion, even if it's wrong, is going to be <coughs> deemed a lot better than somebody else's that has got yeah. letters behind the name. Okay, so, again, <coughs> I don't wish to offend or upset anybody, but has anybody heard of Les? Do you know what it is? Southern Infant Death Syndrome. So this is where um, children are dying through uh, cot deaths. We, we usually call them cot deaths, don't we? Okay. And there was several different cases, several different uh, um, women who went on trial for killing their babies. 
who had died through sudden infant death syndrome. Um, and they called regularly one expert witness, uh, and I think his name was, um, I'll check it, but I think his name is Roy Meadows. Uh, and he said in one famous case, or infamous case, uh, I think her name was Sally Plough, she lived in Cheshire, she was a solicitor, she had two children, both of whom died suddenly in their cots. Uh, and he said that this is like winning the lottery. This is you know, 14, 30 million to one chance that this would happen to the same family, two children dying in this way. And my research shows that this wouldn't happen. Uh, so uh, his expert's opinion, I think he was a professor at the time, or he certainly was a doctor of medicine at the time, published many books in terms of research. His expert's opinion went down strongly, and she was convicted and she went to jail. And then a few years later, several women go into jail for this, a few years later, it was found that his research was seriously flawed. There were major problems with his research. Um, and he was uh, uh, up before the Medical Commission, up before the BMA, um, challenged in terms of what he'd done. All the cases were reopened, um, and some of those women were freed. Many of those women were freed. Um, but, that's the power of the expert there, isn't it? Um, have you heard of... Does that, does that syndrome exist? Is it, is it real? Yeah. yeah, there's research on it. Yeah. yeah. It's very difficult to prove. Yeah, that's especially... It's very difficult to prove. But if you've got an expert on there saying it's a 30 million to 1 chance that this happens, you're more likely to believe the expert, aren't you? Dan, you know when you're looking at like case studies and things like that, is it important to uh, look into who's wrote its background? I know there's research bias, but like if someone's say it's a study into, for example, bottled water, yeah, and the researcher um, Evian or whoever yeah. have sponsored, yeah, the study. Obviously, it's going to be biased. It's always it, well, well, there may be some bias in it. We can't assume that it's going to be biased, but they may be asking questions which they know they're going to get positive answers yeah, to. Yeah, shadow away from... Yeah? You can ask questions and you can get positive answers. Uh, you can get the answers that you want. No. Um, the, the, we, we, there, are, there are people called consultants, business consultants, who go around and they charge a, an awful lot of money to, uh, for, for different organisations and whatever. Uh, and then they produce a report um, and the joke is the definition of a consultant is somebody you pay a lot of money to to tell you what you already know or what you already want. Okay. I was going to give you another example. Anybody know what that is? MMR. Measles, mumps and rubella. Measles, mumps and rubella. The triple jab that are given to young children to protect them from those three diseases. So why have I mentioned that? Because it was related to autism. Yeah. Related to autism and stuff. It can... One doctor... Sorry, what's your name? Rachel. Rachel said one doctor 
Rachel said it can lead to autism. One doctor has come up with research which says that this triple jab could be one of the factors and triggers that leads children to autism. And it came up with that about 15 years ago, 12 to 15 years ago. Um, and so, his arguments convinced many parents, mothers and fathers, to campaign and get separate jabs. And the separate jabs aren't as powerful as the triple one. Um, and this summer, over the last year or two, uh, there have been epidemics of things like measles um, in places like South Wales. And um, those epidemics have led to a few deaths. And the deaths have been of people who are, of children who are 12 or 15 or whatever. Um, and that's because their parents didn't have them vaccinated when they were children. And the researcher who did all of this has been disgraced. He's not allowed to practice medicine in this country. He's gone over to America. Uh, he's still arguing the same case, but it's been comprehensively proved wrong. By who? By other Robot. researchers and med med medical you experts. No. But there are still people, he's still arguing the same point, and there are still people Skeptics, who believe that. But what I'm saying is that that's the power of the experts, isn't it? The experts is putting forward their opinion, and as the experts and the professionals, their power is dominating everything else. We will believe them. Yeah? Um, okay, one other thing where we can make a connection there in terms of expert power is. If you look at Lorna's case, she was taken into care. They said, we will assimilate her into the dominant white culture. Uh, and at the time, they said, this was because... Because of the big issue, the problem of, of black and minority ethnic children in care. So that was the dominant expert view at the time when social workers took her into care. Fifteen years later, in the 1970s, 